Listener Production. If episode one was any guide, we could seriously turn hard right in ep two. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. We've got some great things coming up, a deep dive into the latest auto industry news. Mick Doohan, one of the greats of all time, is going to join us on the program, plus our member guest who is front and centre for the VACC and the body repair industry. Very funny yarn uh, when parking goes pear-shaped and a whole lot more. Uh, Talking comedy movie cars very shortly, where Shane Jacobson, as we welcome you, is the legendary Charlie and Boots Kingswood, and do you still own it? Mate, firstly, great to be back. Hello, everyone, and uh, yeah, yeah, the HJ Kingswood from Charlie and Boots, I do do own that. It's actually sitting uh, at the Holden Museum in Echuca. Have you been tinkering with cars since episode one, and if so, what have you been doing? Or bikes? In lockdown, I've been staring at all my cars, wondering when I can drive them again more than 5K from my house. (laughs) We've got uh, emails coming in already. Thank you very much for those. And for the great feedback from all of you who are listening from our members through to those of you in the general public, we've been um, really proud of how things kicked off. Uh, But uh, someone from Upper Combucta West is asking about the VACC CEO, Jeff Gwillem. Have we had any sightings of Jeff in the Prime Minister's car? Only washing it, and he wasn't in it. So, uh, <laughs> bet it's got a boot full of Pfizer, though. <laughs> He's got a boot full of Pfizer up the Hume Freeway, straight out of Melbourne Airport. It came in this morning. Now, listen, listen. A little birdie tells me. A little birdie tells me you have either been on the email or on the phone. You are endeavouring to get hold of the top man. Is that correct? I have been in contact with the department, and we're still asking the Prime Minister, we need to get into your car, maybe we should give him a cheap service or something, but election year's coming up and anything could happen. We want to see the car with the flag on the bonnet in the listener garage downstairs. That is a story that we will keep following for you, but we now want to launch into Cop This. I'll tell you what the cop this is for me this week. I was speaking to a good friend of, well, ours, Rusty, uh, in Steve Pizzardi, who many would know was a co-host on Top Gear. And we were talking about sort of elite sports people um, because I speak to them a lot because, obviously, we share a lot in common. But Lane Beachley, uh, Kelly Slater, whenever I've spoken to these people, and it's true of racing car drivers, they all visualise the win. Piers, or Steve Pizzardi, told me what he does with drivers. He does these drive days, as, as a lot of us know here on the, on the show, and, and many would have been on his drive days. And he did a thing with them to kind of prove how much they visualise a win or a race. Cop this. He sits them in a chair and tells them to close their eyes. When I yell go, I want you to, with your eyes closed, do a lap around Bathurst. He said, I'll start a stopwatch, and when you cross the line, I want you to yell stop. And they literally go, (laughs) and he said they make noises, their hands are going, their feet are going, and he said, here's the bit that is amazing. Hence, cop this. He said they don't get within sort of seconds of their actual lap time. He said when you press stop on the watch, they are within tenths of seconds of their actual lap times that they do 
in a race car. I think that's incredible. How about the uh, sound impersonations from you? Uh, as I, I do feel though it was like an Audi GT car rather than a V8 supercar. We need a. We need a. <laughs> I, I, uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, that's my Suzu truck coming to a stop. <laughs> Comedy movie cars. Uh, you, immediately you could think of uh, Smokey and the Bandit, the famous Trans Am, um, the movie Dukes of Hazard, which was a bit of a kind of piss take in the end, wasn't it? But there have been some classics, Shane, and some good backstories on them. Firstly, we'll go back to where you started before, mate, which was um, Charlie and Boots, that Kingswood. I do, I do want to just take a quick of that story. Everyone says... How great would it be to work with Paul Hogan and how Australian are things, you know, in a Kingswood and couldn't be more Australian. But the funniest thing that happened to me in that car with Paul Hogan was we were in a Chuka. At one point, we had the film crew filming this long shot, so there was no film crew around us, and we pulled up at a set of lights in a Chuka. There's only about three sets of lights in a Chuka, and we caught one of them. <laughs> and we're sitting at the lights, and a car pulled up beside us at the lights with this old couple in it. And I don't know what the, the old lady's name was in the passenger seat, but I know her husband's name was Doug because she looked across into our car, saw that it was me and Paul Hogan, then looked forward and had that moment where her eyes and her brain had a bit of a chat and went, hang on a moment, <laughs> did the double take, looked at us, we nodded our head and she looked across at her husband in the driver's seat and said, Doug, Doug. He said, what? <laughs> he must have been deaf because she was yelling at him. She said, Kenny and Crocodile Dundee are in the car next to us. <laughs> so many movie cars. I, I, I wrote an article about this once that, in fact, my first film heroes weren't in flesh. They were made out of metal because they were cars, like the truck from BJ and his best friend Bear and the Ferrari 308 from Magnum PI and the XB Coupe from Mad Max. Oh, you know, as we know, that was one of my favourites. But, yeah, like the DeLorean. I mean, gosh, Jeff, you know more about the DeLoreans than I care to admit. I, I witnessed three in the main street of Gisborne in regional Victoria once and couldn't believe my eyes because they're, they're so rare, aren't they? They made 9,000. There's probably still... 8,500 around the world. They're tucked away in garages. The engines actually weren't that stunning, but the body shape sort of drew everybody's attention to it. And, you know, as soon as they went into the film, uh, Back to the Future, 1985, the car plant that started, designed and built a car and closed by the time that thing was on that film. And yet it, it just ignited a whole lot of attention. Failed principally because of a major recession in the United States. So by the time the film came out, you couldn't buy one off a production line. You had, you'd be buying a second-hand car. Gone. The car plant had gone. They'd been built in Northern Ireland. The, where they built them, nobody had ever built a car there before, let alone, a, a let's call it a sports car, a GT. In Ireland at the time, particularly up around Dublin, it was one in every three people were unemployed. And the more people he employed, the more money he got from the government. So it was a great incentive to keep employing people the first 400 cars that went to the States had to virtually be rebuilt, 200 hours of work rebuilding them because they were sort of not put together all that well. Info at thegrillpodcast.com.au is our email address. You can get us on social media as well. We'd love a bit of input from you. Comedy, movie, cars, and maybe some car yarns from behind the scenes. I think there was a, a legal suit regarding the replica Ferraris in Ferris Bueller's day off. We've talked about um, the DeLoreans. What about Chevy Chase vacation? Oh, the 79 Ford LTD. You hate it now. Wait till you drive it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Love getting out on the open road like I do? With Bendix brakes, you can put your foot down with confidence. From tailored disc brake pads, shoes and rotors to cleaners and lubricants, the Bendix range is trusted by top mechanics and drivers right across this great country, Australia. Whatever you're after, Bendix has the solution to keep your brakes running smoother and safer for longer. Don't just ask for brakes, ask for Bendix. Bendix, put your foot down with confidence. Speaking of breaks, now it's time for some breaking news. Thanks to Bendy. I almost feel like I need one of those news headline voices here. Hello, welcome. It's <laughs> six o'clock. Listen to me. Uh, VFAX results are out, hot off the press. Uh, Jeff, why don't we do a bit of a dive into this and look at some of the things that um, have caught your eye for the month of August? Um, firstly. Uh, large slice of Australia naturally in lockdown, mm. particularly on the east coast. But we are we're still on track crazily for one million new car sales in 2021. That's remarkable, isn't it? Click and collect. I think we'll actually surpass that, Greg. So August, 81,000 cars. So we're currently sitting at 732,800 uh, cars for the year. Now, if you see where we're sitting, and if you work on an average of 80 to 90,000 cars a month, my gut feeling is we might even get over. 1,050,000 cars for this year, Greg. As we go into the data a bit further, you'll see that there's some real, there's some things in the market that are going to help make that happen. So year-to-date sales are actually 27.2% above last year and, and Victoria had a good month there, didn't they? 27 up on last year, um, but we're only 1.3 for the month up on 2019, Greg. And 2019 wasn't a flash year either. Either way, We've got this big spike that came through uh, in July and August in Victoria. But, you know, we, we do think there'll be a slight softening in September, but we think it's still heading in the right direction. Light commercials have had a huge drive up. We're up 71% on, on light commercial uh, for the month of August and 37% up for the year. Now, I put this down. So this is, this is big utes, not only, but predominantly big utes. And I think every bathroom in in Victoria and up the east coast of Australia has been renovated. It's had a tradie on the end of it, somebody in there with the spanners and the plumbing gear and uh, the instant asset write-off, of course, a government initiative, federal government initiative that's been there for two years. That's really attracted a lot of people to make, you know, to go and buy a brand new vehicle and write the thing off in that whatever financial year they've purchased it in. Like commercials, I see them staying strong. As we come out of COVID, Greg, this is really important, and I think activity will pick up in the markets and these, you know, the tradies, you know, the building industry is one of the biggest employers in Australia, and when we let go of that, we get into all sorts of trouble, but that the, the figures don't um, indicate that at the moment. And it looks like uh, luxury convertibles are, are kind of bucking a trend as well. What's causing that? 26 Bentleys in August this year compared to eight last year. 15 of those Bentleys were convertibles. There's something happening that says, do you know what? I'm going to buy myself a luxury sports car. It's going to be a convertible. I'm going to get my, I call it, I call it get my COVID head out in the air. <laughs> I need. Well, they're talking about better ventilation in schools. Is that what it's about? <laughs> is, it, is it a COVID safe car if you can travel with someone with no roof? My research guy, Steve Bletsos, he says, look, Jeff, this is about empty nesters and people cashing in their, their suit. You know, they come to retirement age, they get a lump of money out of super. But I said to him, young Steve, I said, Steve, what about the divorce rate? I said, surely we've had people locked up for about two years on end now 
And if they've got really fed up with their partner and they're getting out of town and they've split the dough and uh, somebody goes and buys a, a convertible sports car. So we've got a two-speed economy here happening. We've got a, we've got half the country locked down, but we're selling more luxury vehicles and, and particularly uh um, you know, convertible luxury vehicles than we were for the same time last year. So that, that's quite significant. You talked about it in the last show too, just in relation to Honda and the agency model that they have have moved to. And I mean, this is something that I think Mercedes-Benz is, you know, is doing as well. Are they in for some pain in, in a similar way perhaps? Their market share has dropped even further. It's gone from 3.5% last year to one7 This is a very small market now for a, for a car that had, you know, a, a large chunk of the Australian market for a long time. Uh, this year, for example, we only sold um, 80 Honda Civics in August. I mean, that was one of their lead brand cars, a little Honda what Civic. What would they have sold of those last year? Like, what's like- At least double that. At least double that, Shane, without any doubt whatsoever. Um, I actually think they're a nice-looking car, and they were going like hotcakes when they first pushed them through. But they're going to move away from that uh, those smaller cars, Shane, into a you know the, the bigger vehicles with the, the more uh, tech vehicles that have got a better margin. They, the, the, interestingly, with their decision making, Honda would argue, and it's not agreed to by a whole lot of people, including a whole lot of dealers. They actually uh, carried out a global survey and, and asked consumers what they wanted. And they, they, their response was that that consumers wanted a fixed price on a vehicle so they didn't have to negotiate. People didn't like negotiating. They may think it's what everyone wants. My kids want to eat lollies three <laughs> times a day and it turns out they're wrong. It's just not good for them. Here's the figure. You said only 80 Honda Civics were sold in August this year. You ready? You said it might be double. I found out compared to 244 they sold in August last year. So, so go back to that whiteboard that that graph is looking terrible. That's not just a downturn. That's a cliff. It's a switch going off. That's what that Isn't is. It? Yeah, yeah. And they left terribly. I mean, the 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 dealers in Australia, uh, GM came out last year, and Honda came out, and the 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 government took a very dim view of the way that the these manufacturers pulled out of Australia and the way that they dealt with their dealerships. Some of them that have been selling their cars for decades. And, uh, you know, we don't want to see that with, with uh, Mercedes-Benz or any of the other brands. We've got new legislation coming through in Australia. We've got unfair contract terms. We've got new arrangements for dealerships. There's a whole lot that's happening. Uh, and we actually want to see offshore manufacturers treat businesses in, in Australia fairly. That's all we've ever asked for. And uh, at the moment, I don't think that we've reached the point where both sides in that, in that uh, argument would say it's fair enough but hopefully we can get there before the end of the year. People, of course, will be interested in EVs and their sales. Uh, are, what, what are they looking like at the moment? And are all agencies reporting EV sales correctly, in your opinion? Uh, yes, no, 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 and yes. In that order. <laughs> all right, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so EV, electric vehicle sales are quite interesting because you've got um, electric vehicles, you've got plug-in uh, hybrids, uh, and you've got straight hybrids, okay. In my view, the only pure electric vehicle is the one that you plug in that doesn't have an engine attached to it. In real terms, we're sitting at over 3,000 electric vehicle sales without Tesla. So Tesla don't report to FCAI. The Tesla don't report their, their uh, sales to anybody. You'd have to go state by state and, and move your way through the data to find it. My gut feeling is right now, we're sitting at about 10,000 pure electric sold in Australia this year. I think by the end of the year, we'll get to 20,000. 
It's still microscopic. It'll be less than 2% of the total car market. And range anxiety has changed into charge anxiety, and we need to fix that. Range anxiety. We've got uh, luxury convertibles that are down to uh, COVID divorce rates. We've had quite a good deep dive there into VFAX today, <laughs> haven't we? Let's uh, let's quickly bounce through um, some other news headlines. The new Lamborghini Countach. What about this Pebble Beach Concourse? This is just. Uh, I mean, they're celebrating fifty years of of Countach as a special milestone for the legendary event there in uh, in California as well. Only 112 to be made, V12 engine, 574 kilowatt, electric hybrid, uh, I mean, cannibal run, you name it. I mean, it, this is just a modern take on the icon. It looks beautiful, doesn't it? Those 112, my understanding is, Greg, they're all sold. They're gone. It's a beautiful, it's a t- Italian design. I don't think I've ever seen a car that's got that's so angular, but also so beautiful. It's that thing, though. Do you reckon it'll handle better than the original? Because that's <laughs> talk about meet your heroes. You know, Lamborghini <laughs> Countach. <laughs> Lamborghini Countach, the one that got all of our attention. You know, back all when, show, Shane, all show, wasn't it? Just the, anyone that ever, all of us. I mean, it was the poster we all had on our wall. In anyone sort of near or around our vintage. You know that that was the one you looked to. That was the brightest star in the in the motoring sky. But yeah, you got near it and went, "Oh man, this is like a really heavy go kart." <laughs> Does anybody know what they cost? I don't even know. I've looked in the media and I can't even see what one costs. I mean, does it matter if you can buy one? Does it matter what it yeah, costs? You don't care. <laughs> well, you do, and I do. We do. But yeah. you're right. The ones who go, I'll have that sight unseen. They're not looking at their bank balance. Yeah, they're just worried about colour. Which colour do you want? Hey, we wanted to talk about it in show one, uh, the story involving New South Wales speed camera warning signs. They are back. This is a big talking point because pretty serious U-turn by the New South Wales government. They went away for a while and the revenue raised was off the charts when there were no warning signs. Let's, let's just make this clear for, the, for our wonderful listeners. They used to always have signage. So there was the speed camera in a car parked on the side of the road and the cars themselves were actually identifiable as a speed camera car. And then they had signage all over the place. You're coming towards a speed camera. They stopped doing it, didn't they, Jeff? And what was it? Was it 10 times they were, they were getting uh, the, the in what they would charge in a month they used to get in a year from revenue? That's what happened. They got a year's revenue in, in a month. I thought that when back in Victoria, when we used to have signs here, it was a bit fairer. So, look, if you got caught speeding, you know, there's the sign. You weren't looking. You're an idiot. Pay the fine, okay? And, and, I, and I thought there was some equilibrium in that. Paris this week, 30 kilometres an hour in the whole of Paris. How boring. I mean, let's let's not forget that driving was supposed to be something that we enjoyed. How boring is it to drive around Paris at 30 kilometres an hour and don't be surprised if you're doing that in in, in Melbourne and Sydney and, and other uh, major cities in Australia in a year or two. But it is, I mean, and, you know, what are you going to do? 32 kilometres, you get a speeding fine. 32 kilometres, yeah, you're two k's over, Jeff. Sorry, my old mate, but you're a criminal. The only good thing, of course, now is because of our 5k radius limit during COVID, it does mean you get to spend longer in the car. <laughs> but, but, he, but the thing I've got to say is, and I, and I think it's amusing that, Jeff, you and I have a slightly different view, which is 
it slowed me down. It did it. Like if I if I if I turn myself, you know, my name from this moment forward for the next middle two is called point in case, right? It slowed me down, and I don't know where the cameras are in Victoria. So guess what? I drive at the speed limit or under right across the state of Victoria. I, I love one of the comments that came out of New South Wales, which was they felt it was really unfair. Uh, because there just wasn't adequate warning. You were coming to a speeding camera. That absolutely proves the point that they're just wanting to slow down for the speed camera and speed up again. Like, like uh, there's there's two things. There is a little needle. It's called a speedo. And when it's if you're on a freeway and you're doing over 100 or 110, depending where you are, you're probably speeding. And there's a pedal in the middle, or depending if, if you've got an auto, it's the one on the left. You hit that, you slow down. Like, there are ways to avoid the fine. This is a topic we would welcome your uh, thoughts on as well. Info at the Grill Podcast, or you can get us on social media and we'll uh, we'll talk more about it because it opens up the whole notion of of driver training perhaps and how that might uh, might help uh, things like that. But that's, a, that's another subject for another time. Let's bounce through two industry stories if we can. And this is kind of positive and negative territory. Firstly, Multimatic has announced that they're going to exit the Australian auto industry. They were set up about six years ago now to mainly sort of tackle the Asian uh, region there. Um, Canadian giant, strong motorsport and road car engineering experience and skills. This is a bit of a blow, Jeff. Yeah, it is. And it's a, it's a, it's a sad thing. It, you know, when you see parts of the automotive industry leaving Australia, there's a Canadian company, as you say, been here since 2000, uh, 2007, I think. They... It's like a little bit more of the bodies leaving, and and the the irony is is that the Australian government have actually hired a group of people as global talent scouts. Okay, so they're there to go and find expertise globally to bring to Australia. This is companies and individuals, and yet we've got people uh, in places like Multimatic, globally capable automotive engineers and people with huge capability in in Australia and we're seeing parts of these organisations really getting pulled back home in this case. Um, and I, I spoke to somebody in Multimatic and, and this is sort of, you know, um, companies going through COVID globally and consolidating and bringing stuff back home. Whether we like it or not, the global COVID uh, pandemic has allowed companies to really regroup and pull back. It is a hard one because we have some great talent uh, in Australia in that sense, and we would love them to to continue to flourish and to show that innovation um, that we are very capable of on the world stage. And because that, on the positive side of the ledger, is exactly what Carbon Revolution is doing. So Geelong-based business producing high-end carbon fibre wheels now for something like 14 years. And they're looking, Jeff, at, at mainstream, at lightweight carbon fibre wheel construction, um, targeting uh, the future um, um, EVs. Yeah, look, they have, and they, they want to build a new, it's called their Mega Line, um, which will get their production up to 75,000 wheels a year. That's a lot of wheels. I've been to Carbon Revolution. I went there years ago when they were really a start-up. Um, really world-leading manufacturing capability in Geelong, in Victoria. There's nobody in the world that builds carbon wheels like them. Beautiful manufacturing process. Um, They took some of the workers out of Ford, by the way, and moved them over into Carbon Revolution, which was fantastic. They've got into an equity-raising activity in 2021 to build this new line, this new production line. They do have global orders to, to raise production and get these wheels out. When you think about these things, they're on Ferraris and Ford GTs and, and Shelbys. If you're overseas and you see a car that goes past and you see these carbon wheels and you know that they're made in warm ponds in Geelong, 
it give, it, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel that Australia has got huge capability and can teach the world how to do things. So I reckon it's a great story. It's a great Australian story and it's a great Geelong story. They are doing some very clever things in Geelong and we'll be talking to another local from there a little bit later in the show. Perform powerfully and reliably in the most extreme engine conditions with Denso Iridium Racing Spark Plugs. The 0.4mm Iridium Rhodium Alloy Centre Electrode actually increases ignition performance, whilst the 100% Platinum Ground Electrode will withstand the harshest racing conditions. A more complete burn, fewer misfires and spark blowouts, and reduced detonation risk. Find your part at denso.com.au. Fittingly, for a racing spark plug, we are now about to launch into chatting with a racer, our feature interview brought to you by Denso. had a great reaction to our special guest on the last episode of The Grill, Jeremy Clarkson. If you haven't heard it already, head back to the library once you've finished this episode. Give it a listen. Uh, those of you that have watched Top Gear over the years, the Grand Tour, will know that Jez is not a big two-wheel fan. Some some very funny stuff of him back in the day attempting to ride through Vietnam, for example. Um, but anyway, in asking you who you thought we should get on the show, some of you naturally said, what about bikes? And we love both cars and motorcycles on the podcast. So today we have reached out to one of the all-time greats, five-time 500cc world motorcycle champion, what we now call MotoGP. And Jeff, that is five straight titles that Mick Doohan chalked up between 1994 and 1998 for Honda. And he's kind of continued that that competitive trait that we came to know him for on the motorcycle in into business hasn't he yeah look i think so and, and i think mick Dewan's a, is a name around the automotive industry uh that has just stuck uh it's a bit like a craig lounge they go forever and where they where they can move out of, out of the racing game into mainstream business i think it's fantastic i mean these people are icons for young kids as well that that want to look forward and their parents want to know, well, when you've finished sport, what else are you going to do? And, and Mick is a great example where he was a, obviously, uh, you know, a world beater on the motorbike and then has gone forward into business. Fantastic and a great icon for Australia. Suffered some serious injuries along the way, including one that almost forced um, one of his legs to be amputated. And the next generation doing racer is something that we will talk about as well because it's in the family. Uh, on the line from Monaco, we are delighted to welcome Mick Dewan to the grill. How are you, mate? Um, it's timely that we catch up because your son Jack has just scored two wins in the F3 Championship round there at Spa in Belgium and a pole position as well. Uh, are you proud, Dad? Did you have that conversation about not going down the two-wheel path like you? I mean, this is pretty impressive, the the road that he's on here, Mick. He's enjoying himself, that's for sure, and it's exciting to watch him. It's it's pretty stressful as a parent, that's for sure. But <laughs> uh, but as you say, probably not as stressful as, as he be, if, if he would have been on two wheels. And um, but it was his own uh, it, was, it was his own choice. Like he grew up playing rugby, surfing. And then messing around in go-karts. But he was also um, riding dirt bikes, but uh, he injured himself early on on a dirt bike and 
and his buddies were doing, um, we were racing carts, so he got into that and, and then that was it. Mick, the last time I saw you was actually with your son at Port Melbourne in a go-kart and that seemed like, I don't know, like a year ago. It obviously wasn't. <laughs> so uh, it just goes to prove such a great friend, you know, for people listening going, you know, how do you get into the main game? It, it, it is, carts is always the, the great answer, isn't it? It's always the great way in. Yeah, no, g'day, Shane. Um, look, um, absolutely, pretty much everyone comes from uh, karting these days and uh, it is junior AFL, basically. That's where you sort of learn your trade and, uh, and you, away you go. So I can't think of anybody in the modern era who hasn't come through go-karting. So, um, and it's a great little family sport, you know, a lot of... Uh, a lot of ups and downs like in any sport. That's what sport's all about, emotion. So it's, it's great. Clearly, uh, F1 is his goal, Mick. Is he a chip off the old block? He looks in the pictures and the vision that we see as driven and as determined as the bloke that we know who won five of those 500cc world titles. He, he certainly enjoys the driving, that's for sure. But he does push himself, which is good. So that's... There's a there's a big commitment from his side and also from the family side, but but mainly from his side, and he understands that as well. So he's he's out there training, doing everything he needs to be doing to uh, to try and put himself in the best position. So you know what it's like. You've been around it long enough. You've really got to immerse yourself if you want to get to that that pinnacle. And and the and the cliff seems to get steeper as you get closer to the top. You know, not everyone makes it. There's only a few seats. So you have to work hard. And he certainly enjoys that side of it. And at least if, if he doesn't make it, and then um, that's a, a, a high chance as well that uh, he hasn't left any stone unturned, which is good. And I'm proud of him for that. As opposed to other kids his age who don't leave a turn unstoned. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> True. Hey, 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 the, oh, the 80s. Hey, Mick, while we're on F1, I'm, I'm sure you know there is a, there's a, there's a Michael Shoemaker doco that, that's coming out. And can you believe it's been 30 years since his debut at Spa? Back then, you guys were both doing inconceivably great things in the world of, you know, things with motors and wheels. How did your friendship come about back then? Uh, basically, well, through the sport, one was back then now it seems to be, be on the same weekend, but back then it was 2 o'clock on a Sunday in Europe. It was either F1 or MotoGP, as it's now called, the 500cc back then. But he was Benetton. Um, the car he was driving in in those days was a Benetton and then I was actually sponsored by, the team was sponsored by Benetton. So we'd met a couple of times and then he just happened to live beside me in, in the building right beside me, basically, which is was in a joint in Monaco. So <clears throat> we just become good buddies, started doing a bit of training and and a bit of a few laughs together and become good mates. So, um, you know, it's a different world almost now compared to what it was back then, you know, so, People are trying to make it a little bit more light-hearted, but it's nowhere near as what it was back in the 90s, that's for sure, 80s, 90s. Looking forward to that doco coming out. Um, Mick, there'll be lots of mechanics that are, that are listening to this. You still have, even now, a great relationship with the guys that worked on your bikes, Alex Briggs, Jeremy Burgess, Dickie Smart still even works for you on the, on the aviation side. What's the secret, do you reckon, to that longevity and the fact that you were such a good, tight team? I mean, winning must have helped for sure, but what else was, was you know, the ingredients in that? 
Oh, I think it's just understanding each other, Rusty. I think um, everyone's a pain in the ass sometimes, so <laughs> you just got to understand. <laughs> you just got to understand that that's going to be part of the game, and um, and and equally, if people have got some knowledge, let's just try and build on that and uh, and keep everyone together. Everyone, if everyone's got the common goal, we're going to have a great result. So. So I think swapping and changing, if somebody's had a bad result, then, you know, I'm not that easy to work with sometimes, but nor is everybody else. So I think we just got to, uh, uh, as a team, we just got to work for that common goal and, and, and not get, uh, get our egos in front of it. And I think that's what's kept um, my guys together when I was competing um, for, for as long as it did. And then, uh, as you say, Dickie still works for me and Alex... JB, a few of the other boys, and, and um, Bernie's still actually there working for Quattararo, you know, so they've moved on and they stay with the same guys. And, and it's good to have some continuity around who you got, who you're dealing with each day, rather than swapping and changing. You see it as well, in, especially in MotoGP. I can't really comment on some of the other sports I don't know much about, but they, they have a bad result and they change, the, uh, they change the engineer or they change this and they still have the bad result, and, uh, but you haven't got a relationship. So for me, I think life's all about relationships and friendships and, 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 um, and building on them. Mick, I don't mind admitting you've always been a, a hero of mine, mate, watching, watching you do what you did in five years in a row. Unbelievable. Well, thanks, mate. And <laughs> as a guy that, that, I mean, I love cars, but I love bikes too. But I want to tell you about the time that you and some of your mates uninspired me, which was when I was on a ride <laughs> day. I had an old Honda CBR 1000 that I took to Phillip Island and was running it, just running around there on a track day. And I was feeling pretty ace about myself. I was overtaking a few bikes and I went you know what, I'm, I'm okay at this, I'm not great. And then a blue helicopter landed at Phillip Island. You got out of it and went into the garage right beside me on Pitt Straight to catch up with, and tell me if I've got this right, Valentino Rossi was in there doing some kind of secret training day and the garage door opened. We, the whole, Everyone there on this ride day thought they were going quick and then there was just for a moment, the garage door opened. You walked in, everyone went, Mick Dillon just walked into the garage beside us and then the the front roller door went up and then the doctor goes out, cuts about five inconceivably quick laps, puts the bike in and then you jump back in your chopper. I think I said a quick hello. You jumped in the chopper and took off and then everyone just packed their bikes up and went, what is the point of any of <laughs> we, we felt cool because we had leathers on until you turned up in a chopper. We thought we were quick until Valentino Rossi went out and did five of the fastest things I'd ever seen, which he called laps and I called seconds. And uh, everyone just packed their bikes up, went home, and I set fire to the bike and just started eating pies. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a, it's a different it, – it's uh... – you know, riding a bike is so much fun and, and riding at the circus, especially something like Phillip Island, if it's not blowing sideways and <laughs> it's uh, so much fun. But, uh, but uh, yeah, somebody like Valentino, that's all he does is eat and breathe bloody uh, cutting laps and um, it's a different level, isn't it? So, and, and equally, I, 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 I went for a bike ride the other day and I hadn't crashed for 20 years but managed to do that. So, uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> what, what, what happened? <laughs> oh, well, riding uh, BM, we should have been on gull wings actually through the, <laughs> through the countryside <laughs> of Wales. I'd be just as just as useful as those BMW things. But uh, the engines got caught in ruts and just over the bars I went. But um, oh, was this but, you and Mark Webber? Uh, Webber and Brundle and Coulthard and, and a few other mates from up that way. Fantastic. So we had some fun. It was it was thankfully none of us were injured. There were a few of us went down, but uh, but it was a hell of a lot of laughs. But they're getting back to what you're saying. That's what it's all about. And. You know, I, I, I thought I was still 
the Mick Dawn of old, but I'm very far from that and uh, <laughs> back into that position what you were just talking about. <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm glad that Shane has brought up uh, Valentino Rossi because your career, because of injury, came to uh, you know a, a halt when he kind of reached the, the premier class and he's gone on to do some amazing things and still to be riding in his early 40s. Part of me thinks that, you know, lots of reporters, Mick, say, oh, he should have stopped ages ago. But at the same time, as you just talked about, he's got this deep passion, this deep love for it. So why not keep doing it? If injury hadn't have happened to you, could you see yourself in your 40s still racing in in MotoGP and maybe going head to head with those guys? It's difficult to say. Um, I I certainly didn't feel like I was ready to retire, but it it does get harder and harder because you push yourself harder and harder. And uh, I think the last couple of years, he's clearly competitive for a lap here and in a race he's competitive, but it was getting more difficult for him. And speaking to the guys, um, it was becoming more difficult for him. But but he's one of the all-time great athletes. Forget about MotoGP, but to, to, to be at the top of the game for 20-odd years and, you know, 20 years in MotoGP. So he and I were going to be teammates in 2000. So and then he took with JB and whatever. But he'd won the 125 and 250 prior to that. So, I mean, at the forefront for 20 years, there's not too many athletes anywhere. You know, Kelly Slater is probably one of them that comes to mind. But but to stay that focus, that immerse, I, I think he's probably just going to fall apart for the first year or two when he doesn't have to actually wake up and he's got this time to do that and <laughs> everything's just so scheduled. And it'll be a relief for him. So I'm happy for him that he's actually decided to, to hang up the boots and... It's a bit of a shame. I don't know whether he was trying to chase down the Agostini-type records or whatever, but uh, but equally he sort of entertained the crowds for so long and, and, and sort of took MotoGP, especially back in Europe here, to another level again. So, you know, I'm happy that he's retired and um, and see what goes on next. But he's a bright boy, so I'm sure he's going to be doing something. It's funny, it only happens to you sports people. No one ever said, what's Frank Sinatra think he's doing still singing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it does. When they when they wheel you to the bike, it's sort of time to stop, I think, you know. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, you had a chance to have a go on a moto e-bike at Phillip Island a couple of years back. What what do you think of, I mean, we're very used in the world of cars, obviously thanks to Tesla and the likes of them to get used to the idea of, you know, a car that doesn't make noise that's, you know, runs with a light switch. Uh, what do you think about about electric bikes? What do you what do you think the future of them will be? Yeah, it's inevitable, isn't it? Um, I, I think they'll be, they'll be quite good. The problem is they're so bloody heavy. That's the, um, the problem at the moment. The car, the Tesla, I guess you don't really know, but but they go quite well. Um, I'm not sure whether they're like an iPhone or not. You've got to buy a new one every few years. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I did ride that uh, the one, the Moto E, what they're running around. But all I know is talking to a few of those guys who ride it, apparently Michelin or whoever makes the tyres, I think it's Michelin, say that they put really, really sticky tyres on the things. So that's why you see them unload because they've got that much torque with the electric engines. But a dumber version for the street, I'd imagine, would be pretty similar. Plenty of torque, so acceleration will be massive. And um, it just depends whether they can charge them. So they should be quite enjoyable to ride. It's just whether they can reduce the weight down. So, and at least you won't bloody have those Harleys coming past you at 6am in the morning or whatever time it is waking you up, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the only point of those sort of bikes is the noise, I think. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they sound fast and that's about it. You've been super good with your time with us here. Can we have a little funny yarn to finish to share with our, our audience? And this will give the listeners, a, a kind of a sense of the level of awareness that Grand Prix bike riders have, even when 
things go wrong. Where, where, where were you and what happened when that poor photographer saw you having a monumental off? Can you recount that story for us? I know it's probably not one you want to recall because of the crash, but it is it is quite funny with the... Uh, the wasn't he on a scooter, the photographer at the <laughs> time? Oh, yeah, yeah, the one in Spain, yeah. So when I flicked into the uh, into the gravel and hit the wall, apparently there was a, uh, a journalist or a photographer <laughs> on a scooter watching me sort of go through the air and into the wall, and he actually went side on into into a uh, lamppost so, so there was, <laughs> while he was looking at me go down. So there was apparently a team of doctors and, and officials working on me as, as it was for him as well. So he was carted away because he went, uh, he face planted a, a bloody um, a post, which uh, I haven't actually caught up or heard from how, how he actually fared, but I'm sure he's all right. I, I, it, what a great way to finish because it just goes to prove, Mick, no matter what you do, you inspire people. You inspired me to ride better and you inspired him to crash. Exactly. Hey? So, but it goes to show it doesn't matter what speed you're going, you can end up in yeah. an ambulance. Hey, mate, it's been super to catch up. Firstly, please pass on our, our joint um, congratulations to, to Jack and we wish him well, the very best for the remainder of the season and um, I know our audience will have uh, have loved this chat about two wheels and a whole lot more thank you very much for your time absolute pleasure great to uh, great to speak with you both just awesome Shane do you know that he's actually kept one race bike from each of his title winning seasons very cool yeah I know wouldn't it be nice to have one of those just one of those that's a warning to him. Don't leave your back door open. I will steal one of the bikes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jeff, I mean, after injuries in the in the early part of his world championship career, his, his team. This is what I love about Aussie ingenuity. Uh, they they designed a, a unique nudge bar style rear brake, like a throttle off a off a, a jet ski, um, to help get around the problem. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. I mean, what they worked out is that once you've been off a bike a couple of times and broken half the bones in your body, you've got to start to make adjustments to that vehicle. I think we're going to ask ourselves, um, you know, Barry Sheen was the same. These guys, they they have these horrendous uh, smashes on their motorcycles and yet they put themselves together and, you know, within a couple of months they're back on these motorcycles. I mean, I don't know, it takes huge guts to do that. Each their own, but what they do, they're very much on their own. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> if I had one big stack like that, I'd sell the bike. In fact, as soon as uh, my partner became pregnant with our first child, I sold the bike and put that money into a cot and a pram. That's a true story. I became, as soon since it's changed and I'm back, I've got bikes again now, but it so put the, the fear of Hades into me that I was going to be a father, but I had this thing that I knew, you know, was sometimes... Well, the express lane to heaven, they used to call them a motorbike, didn't they? <laughs> so, uh, so I sold it. But anyway, I'm with you. I'm with you. Terrifying. Member of the Order of Australia for his contribution to motor racing, gutsy, as, as Jeff was saying, and very uh, successful in the aircraft sales and charter game now. And speaking of successful business stories, time now for our VACC member guest. I feel like we are waving the flag today for Geelong because some great things in an automotive sense have been coming out of that part of the world. Our guest is an industry-leading repairer and works on, the the company works on some of the biggest brands from Tesla to Porsche uh, and more. And he's chair 
of the VACC Body Repair Division. Carly Ruggieri, hello. Hi, thank you for having me. You, as I said, work in the body repair industry. Just give us a little bit. I know you don't want to necessarily talk too much about you, yourself, but give us a little bit of a sense of your journey that sees you fronting this body repair shop, regional Victoria, um, and, and with that focus on prestige models. I own a, a second generation body repair business with my uh, business partner, who's also my brother. He's been in the business 18 years and myself 14. It wasn't something I grew up around thinking that I would be part of the business, but um, the opportunity arose and um, our father wanted to step aside, so to speak, and we just really enjoyed uh, the small business dynamic. Um, my brother and I are great business partners and um, really enjoy working together, super adaptive and just um, really enjoy helping people. I had a call just before, actually before um, coming onto the show and um, one of our good customers, she um, had a really tough year and so it's just damaged her car trying to park at the uh, hospital and um, so just trying to help her through that, make it smooth as possible for her and just so she can get back on onto her um, things that are ma- you know more important and matter to her. So um yeah, it's been it's been a journey. Lots of mentors along the way, and um, as you said before, now I'm chair of BRD in Victoria, and I'm trying to you know do what I can to keep a bright future for our industry. Carly, I've always wondered: is what you deem or term a good customer what I would call the bad driver? <laughs> um, <laughs> I if think there's if, repeat business, you've got to ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some families always say we need to have shares in uh, in your business. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the reason I ask about the uh, good customer, bad driver is because I've been both sides of that coin. Uh, I used to be a travelling sales rep. No way. Yes, I did it. <laughs> I used to do 1,400 kilometres a week in a car travelling country Victoria. And I had a bit of a run where uh, I had uh, went through an intersection. You ready for this? In Geelong. Uh, see, it all loops around. And I went through a green light and a, a dear old gentleman uh, who was getting on a bit came, he went through a red light and took the front off the car that I was driving. Um, so that, that I, I got towed back to uh, to Melbourne where it went to my the, the panel shop down the road from where I worked and then that car got repaired and then I had a moment where I fell asleep behind the wheel, to be honest. Uh, I used to burn the candle at both ends and in between times I used to store that candle in the oven on 180. So I fell asleep driving a car terribly in Bell Street in, in, in Melbourne and took out the left-hand side of the car. Uh, and then a week after that, the car was drivable. Uh, and then I had a moment where uh, I went down a... Uh, <clears throat> here we go. I'll try and run. I'll try and explain this to people carefully uh, for my own protection. <laughs> I, I, I used to like uh, driving on dirt roads when I was younger and I found a dirt road. Uh, I wanted to have a little, uh, I needed to go to the toilet and relieve myself, but I saw this little road that was a bit dirt and I thought, I'll drive along here a bit, but give it a little bit. And there I was going sideways around some corners, trying to find somewhere to wee. And then a lady came around the corner on the wrong side of the road and we we collided and I got out and thought, well, you know, what a fool driving on the wrong side of the road. And she said, I'm so sorry. I just wasn't expecting anyone in my driveway this morning. (laughs) I then realised I was on private property. So that took out, so that took out the right side of the car. Anyway, uh, I, I did four cars in six months that went back and forth to the uh, panel shop in these company cars. And 12 months after I left that company, that panel shop, unfortunately, went out of business. Um, having said that, the guy that I used to work for went down and, and brought a box of wine to give to them because they, they'd they been friends for a long while. And he said, so, mate, where do you think you went wrong in business? He said, me? I didn't do anything wrong. He said, you let go of that young sales rep that used to keep us in business. <laughs> <laughs> 
there is those stories everywhere. Um, and you have a bad of a run of bad luck, and then you know you might go years without having an accident, which is which is nice. We don't want anyone having accidents. It's just, I guess, when you're on the road so much, you're, it's a part of life. This conversation has been had. We've all Jeff's heard of it a billion times, and so is Rusty. But I like putting it out there. It's the conversation that that my parents have had, and so, and so many of the older generation do. And I think you'll be able to answer this best. That thing of they don't make cars like they used to. That misconception that cars were stronger and therefore better back in the old days. Chevrolet did this amazing thing, and I think they put it up against the Camry. I think Jeff will be able to correct me there if I'm right or wrong. But they did a thing where they got you know a, a big old like a '57 Chev, and they actually drove it at 40 or 60 kilometres an hour into a you know still object and looked at the damage done, and they had a crash test dummy in it and then they put like a Camry and did the same thing with it to see how far we've come with developments as far as what a car does to the occupants in an accident. They got the data off the crash test dummy and the 57 Chev that collided into something and sure it held together, um, the crash test dummy in that they said had pretty much a 99% chance of dying. Um, there's no way the body would have survived the crash. And in the Camry, they, there was a chance the driver may have broke one ankle, but other than that, would have walked out, albeit with a limp, at worst case scenario. Like... That misconception that tougher cars were better cars to be in in an accident. How wrong is that info? We hear it all the time. You don't, they don't make cars like they used to, and that's a good thing. That's um, all about the safety of the occupants and the car itself uh, crumbles where it's meant to. Um, and so light accidents, um, there is a lot more damage and the cost is actually higher than it used to be because um, they're doing exactly what they're meant to, um, keeping those, those passengers safe. Carly, Jeff was telling us today before we came into studio about um, an education program um, that the VACC's Body Repair Division is currently running, Your Car, Your Choice. Just give us a, a bit a bit more on that. Tell us more about it. Talking about um, challenges in the industry for body repairers, and that is um, a massive challenge at the moment. Um, insurance companies are always looking at minimising their costs and figuring out strategies on how they can do that. Um, but unfortunately, at the moment, there is a trend where um, some of the major insurance companies, uh, and it's following through to other insurers as well, are taking away your choice of repairer. And historically, people thought that they had and have always had choice. So um, it's really important now more than ever um, to make sure that when your your policy is due, that you ask the questions, you look at your policy and make sure that you don't just assume you now have choice because you might not be able to go to your local repairer. You just made a point, and I think it's an incredibly important one, that the average Australian thinks that they do have choice, but that actually has changed significantly, hasn't it? It has, yeah. And it might not matter to you at the moment until it does. Um, And, you know, we never want anyone to have an accident. But when you're in that stressful uh, moment and then realising that you haven't got a choice um, to where your your property will go, because ultimately the consumer is the customer always. So that, you know, they've paid their money to buy a car um, and they've paid their money for an insurance policy. You want to make sure that you know what's in it. Fun story to finish. It might make some people wince, and we're going to try and extract it out of you if that's okay. You have witnessed a couple of funny happenings at your business, and we heard about a particular customer that had a bit of bit of trouble navigating the car park. Don't don't tell us the person's name, but maybe just share the yarn. Yeah, maybe the yarn <laughs> and the rego. <laughs> <laughs> Strange times. People people are really absent-minded and um, trying to park the car, and there was this space in between and um, has hit one car. Someone was sitting in in, in their car going, geez, lucky lucky they didn't hit mine and then re-corrected and and also hit his as well. So... 
so yeah, three cars in in one one car space. Um, uh, yeah, n- not great, not great at all. Are you kidding? I'd put them on the payroll. <laughs> <laughs> Carly, it has been fabulous to chat with you. The quality workmanship that Europanels does is industry leading and you and I'm sure our, our listeners can tell from the style of conversation that you've had with us. You're doing a fabulous job as the chair of the VACC's Body Repair Division. Keep powering with that and thank you very much for talking to us. Thanks. Thanks for having me. If you operate an automotive business, then you simply can't do without a scan tool. But which one to pick? Our Auto, the national commercial arm of VACC, has you covered. The Our Auto diagnostic tool is easy to use and is bundled with several key features. It's software enabled, provides auto detection and delivers top range health reports. Plus, you get your regular monthly updates. Best of all, the Our Auto diagnostic tool is available on a convenient monthly payment plan. Go to ourautoscantool.com.au to find out more or book a free demo. Time now to open up the virtual glove box where I tend to stick my mail, see what's been left in there. Uh, firstly, a big thanks to uh, all of you who've liked and subscribed to the podcast. Tell your mates about it. We'd love you to leave a review, maybe even ask a question. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you can email us, info at the grill podcast, or one word, and grill is G-R-I-L-L-E, at thegrillpodcast.com.au. Our social media platforms are at V-A-C-C official, at the Shane Jacobson or at Thruster One. Here we go. Uh, William from Bansdale. This is actually a good one. My car's been idle for a long time because of COVID, because of the pandemic. Um, when things hopefully uh, open up again soon, what sort of things should I check first? Some people worry about fuel, how long the fuel's been in the car, but it can sit in there for six months, even longer. So fuel doesn't do what it used to do in terms of going off. And unless you've got water on the car, it's not going to have um, uh, water in it anyway. So the the most important thing to do, Greg, is as you move your car forward, actually apply the brakes because you will get, uh, if there's any moisture in the air in a garage, you'll get a, a dust coating of, of rust on those rotors, on the big silver discs behind the, behind the, the, the tyre. And uh, you don't want to put, you don't want the first time you put your foot on the brakes to be on a hairpin bend on the way down the hill. You need to have got rid of that dust off those brakes before you get down the bottom of the hill. And I, I think, uh, William, if you've got any other concerns, the best thing we can do is to, you know, send you to your closest trusted authorised repairer and get them to do a, a once-over, get them to check the car. Here's one from Julie from Port Melbourne via uh, social media. Curious to know what our first cars were. Jeff, what was your first set of wheels? Come on. Morris Minor. Morris, what colour? Blue. Auto, manual, what are we talking about? Oh, well, I didn't have auto. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were manual, and if you did get stuck, this is in the UK, if it really was cold, I still had a crank handle on the front if you needed to use it. Oh, gold. Shane. Interesting to know that I've actually uh, got one of those cars you used to drive, uh, Jeff, that I'm having done up right now. True story. Morris 1100. Uh, in blue. Ooh. Uh, manual. Oh, yeah. uh, <clears throat> I hate answering this because it literally undoes everything anyone ever thinks or has thought of me. <laughs> it was a T Cortina. And oh, yeah. I, 
my, yeah, my dad and my brother were drummers, and I used to. I got taught how to keep time by listening to the tappets. Oh, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. And Julie, to uh, to round out our three here, I had a beige nineteen eighty one Holden Gemini four yes, speed. You did. Uh, I, I did four speeds and go and run us through those speeds. As <laughs> we know, it used to be. Under walking pace, almost walking pace, walking pace, and jogging. Exactly. That was it. <laughs> and, and what the hell was I thinking getting it in beige? Anyway, that is our mailbag. We'd love your questions. Fire them in for uh, the next episode. But in trademark fashion, it is time now to finish with a story. Blow it out your tailpipe with Shane Jacobson. Blow it out your tailpipe. <laughs> I was waiting for you to go high. Blow it out your tailpipe. So this is, uh, I've been told, reliably told by my wife who's a lawyer, that we have to call this, at best, an urban myth or something <laughs> we've heard <laughs> that has been qualified fairly well. This this is a story I heard recently, and, it, and it's been around for a little while, but I got reminded of it only just this week, which was there was a couple who unfortunately went through a breakup. In fact, I believe the gentleman had, had met someone else and, and fallen out with his wife and, and got with someone else behind her back. Uh, anyway, that all got unveiled, and they went through a separation, which is terrible, of course. Uh, what happened, though, was he was travelling a lot. This is pre-COVID, um, and I believe was overseas uh, at the time, and they were sorting out their estate. And it had been agreed between them... They, he thought it was it was as being handled fairly calmly between them. Uh, it was quite amicable, he thought. And but what he had was a, uh, a relatively new Porsche. And what she did say as part of while they were settling things up that he could uh, she could um, he given her permission you could sell the Porsche and they would go halve in halves in that money. Uh, so anyway, she popped two thousand dollars into the uh, joint account, which was part of the estate. He said, "And what's that two thousand dollars? <laughs> what's that two thousand dollars for?" She said, "I sold your Porsche." He said, "Well, what's that got to do with the two thousand dollars?" She said, because I sold it for four. So allegedly a guy turned up, saw it advertised, wasn't too far from the house where it was for sale, and went, okay, there's a catch to this. It's a trick. It's a joke. It's a something. But you got to ask. You don't know unless you ask. Drove around, wasn't even in the market for Porsche, and said, okay, what's the story? She said, I'm going through a breakup. My husband said, sell it for what I can get it for. It's four grand. Brought it on the spot. Why wouldn't you? Now he's got a Porsche and a great story, and so do we. Blow it out your tailpipe. What a story. Great stuff. Four grand. Uh, we are out of time, gentlemen. Jeff, Shane, thank you very much. Um, no promises, everybody, but we are looking very much like having the great Daniel Ricardo join yeah, us on the baby. next episode of The Grill. If there is someone you would like us to talk to, let us know, and we will catch you next time. See everyone. Bye for now. See you on the road, folks. <laughs> Listener.